the, the, the games are over, but the game never stops. Never stops. This is College Football Overtime with Garrett Chapman and Abe Gordon. Welcome into College Football Overtime. My name is Garrett Chapman. His name is Abe Gordon. After a small hiatus, you know, we, we had to go celebrate some Christmas, uh, or in Abe's case, go sail the seven seas down there on a beautiful <laughs> cruise down there in Mexico. Uh, you see that little tan he's got there. That's not not by happenstance. It's he had. That's hard work to get a tan like that. Uh, but Abe Gordon, how you doing, man? Welcome back. We are back. College football overtime. We have tons to get into. Lots of New Year's Six discussion. That's going to happen right here on College Football Overtime. But before that, Abe, how you doing, buddy? Uh, I'm doing great, man. It's been a fun bowl season, as you mentioned. I was out on a cruise, but they did have a sports bar, Garrett. So. Uh, I did not miss that much college football action. It was great to sit there, uh, you know, drink some fruity drinks with some umbrella straws and such and, <laughs> and uh, enjoy some college football. A couple teams, as we expected, maybe didn't care as much, but a couple games did have some interest and some teams did show up and play. So uh, looking forward, obviously, to the ones that ultimately matter most coming up uh, in the new year here. Yeah, there are a lot of games that we could discuss right here on this podcast, but I'm going to save it because it's New Year's Eve. We gotta we gotta move along and, and you gotta go do our thing, you know. So uh the cotton bowl is where we're actually gonna start. And <clears throat> this game happens on Friday. Huge win for Missouri, Eli Drinkowitz and those Tigers, man. 14 to 3 is your final score. And Eli Drinkowitz, by the time that the, the confetti had finished falling from the sky after the game was over, they had already locked him up with a an extension through 2028, and it's a hell of a season. Hell of a way to end it here with a win over to number seven, Ohio State. I don't care if they don't have anybody playing. Like, look, Kyle McCord is off to Syracuse. I understand Marvin Harrison is off to go play NFL football. And good for him. I'm thrilled for that. But the Ohio State Buckeyes still lined up and played football on Friday night. And Missouri took them down. And until the end of time, they're going to be the Cotton Bowl champions. Uh, and, and 11 wins, first time since 2014. Great season for Eli Drinkowitz. I know some people had him on the hot seat. I didn't really have him on the hot seat, but some people did. And at the end of the day, it's like, this is a hell of a season. Cody Schrader, Luther Burton, those are the two guys who won the day for you. Cody, Brady Cook also, uh, great game. But I, I felt it was sort of fitting that the two guys who score are the two guys who really carried you this season. Cody Schrader, 128 yards, 68 of that in the fourth quarter. Uh, he set a record for Missouri, single season record, 1,627 yards, surpassing Tyler Beatty's 1,604 that was set in 2021. Just an incredible season for the former walk-on. I'm really excited for him. I'm excited for Missouri in general because next year it's looking bright, man. I know Connor, Cody Schrader's off. Uh, we'll see. He, he might be on an NFL roster this time next year. We'll see. But Luther Burton's back. Brady Cook's back. I think they might have a pretty good season next year. And look, this is as great of a takeoff point as you could have hoped for. Yeah, look, it'll be a tall task to repeat what they've accomplished this year. It's been simply incredible. Uh, and you look at the losses that they had, you can respect those. There weren't ugly losses. There weren't bad losses. Uh, some good wins mixed there as well. I mean, you're right. This is a great way to stamp the end of this season for Missouri uh, to win a, a, a big-time game like this, a New Year's Six game against the Buckeyes. Like you mentioned, I, I'm with you. I don't I don't care who they had in or who they had out. This is an outstanding performance for Missouri. Um, it, it really just signals a big season, right? I, I, I mean, they're going to end the year as a top, 10 program and that's absolutely a deserved accomplishment and achievement by both coach drink but also uh the players he's recruited or brought in and developed and and uh uh it just feels deserving after the season that they had to recognize as you mentioned luther burden who comes back and is kind of one of those dark horse um blitnikoff and yeah. even potentially heisman discussions um so it was good to see them out there and just solidify the fact that they were a top 10 team all year. Yeah. And, and look, this was an ugly football game. Almost had as many punts <laughs> as we did points. Uh, let me just break this out. So the first half went like this. It went punt, 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 Ohio state field goal, punt, 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 end of half. The second half, Abe, went something like this punt, missed Ohio state field goal, punt, punt, Missouri touchdown, punt, Missouri touchdown, Ohio State fumble, end of game. That's pretty much it. 203 yards for Ohio State. It was their lowest, I think since like 2014 or something. So it's like at the end of the day, like they still lined up and played football. Um, 
And I know the quarterback situation was kind of brutal for them. And it has been kind of a, a roller coaster of a season. Kyle McCord, I think, received a lot more heat than I think was justified. Uh, he played pretty well. He didn't play elite level football, which is just what they've kind of come become used to over there. I mean, they're used to having first first round picks playing quarterback for him. And Devin Brown takes over as the starter. He leaves with an ankle injury in the second quarter. And then you, you have a, a, a third string guy who's taking snaps for you. He struggles in this one, six of 17, for 86 yards and a fumble. Look, and Marvin Harrison was out and Mike Vuka didn't step up. So at the end of the day, this was a disappointing game for Ryan Day in Ohio State. I, I thought that they still had every opportunity to win this game, even without their big dogs and, and their plan. And I, I think it just sort of encapsulates the season that they've had. Just disappointing. They played really good defense. I, I mean, they come in and step up and they sack Brady Cook a number of times. And at the end of the day, it's like the, the, everything has not seemed to line up for Ryan Day. If it's not one thing, it's something else. And it's not that I think he's a bad coach. Some people have him on the hot seat. Uh, I, I think that we, we've discussed him being on the hot seat right here on this podcast. But is it fair that he exists in that realm? Well, these are the, the, the waters you swim in. And people expect more than just New Year's, six, uh, New Year's Six appearances. They expect national title games, and they expect championships. They And, and then you got to beat Michigan. They haven't done any of those things. And Ryan Day, <clears throat> it's just a disappointing game for him, a disappointing end to a, kind of a disappointing season. And that's just the nature of this of this world that you're in. I mean, you finished, what, what were they, 11-2 and two to finish the year? We're talking about 11-2 and two for Missouri, and we're, we're, we're trying to crown them right now. <laughs> and it, But look, it's Ohio State. This is just the nature of the game. And Ryan Day, you got to do better. You had three weeks to prepare, and it was a dud. Yeah, I'm not so much as bothered by this performance as I am the the game against Michigan. I mean, that's the one you spent all year preparing sure. for. Um, th- this happens, and, and yes, we're we're going to give credit to Missouri, but I'm not going to shame Ohio State for their performance in this game, considering the the situation. Um, and, and that you know that may end up being a trend for a couple of these New Year's Six games that we talk about, or at least one other one that kind of we'll get to. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, look, Ryan Day is in a situation where they told him for a year straight, like, don't lose this one to Michigan again. Yeah. And and he did. Um, so now you are going to find yourself, as you mentioned, on the hot seat. And and, and it is an unfortunate, it's not, it's not a, uh, a situation where he can't coach anymore, but it is a situation, like you said, um, you have to be in the playoffs. Uh, you have to be winning Big Ten titles or, or beating Michigan. Um, that's not a rivalry you lose four straight years and survive. Um, I, I don't think anyone outside of probably Kirby and Saban can go a couple of down years and, and survive it. And, and Ryan Day is unfortunately not where those guys are. Um, no one, no one can have down years. Uh, and, and, and I, we're talking about down years. Ohio State came into this game ranked number seven. I get that. Yeah, I understand that. But we're also talking about three straight years. You lost the one game we said you couldn't lose. Uh, and so in my mind, he does enter next year on the hot seat because Ohio state fans and, and the administration is not going to accept losing to Michigan a fourth straight time. So I, again, I, you, uh, unless that's your one loss and you somehow still win the national championship, you might, you know, be able to get into the playoffs as a one loss, obviously next year when you expand, I, I mean, there, there's some other variables there, but I, I mean, it's going to be very tough to keep that job if you lose a fourth straight to Michigan. So pressure is on Ryan day. Pressure's really much on, but you know, Spider-Man said it best with great power comes great responsibility. And yeah. that's just really the situation that they're in. Mm-hmm. You got to beat Michigan. That's all there is to it. And you have 365 days and they have a counter over there in, in, uh, in their, their training facility that says, Hey, X number of days until you play Michigan. And they, they had the countdown going and you don't miss it. It's right there, right by the weight room. And, and you do, you see it every time you walk in and every time you walk out. And clearly it wasn't enough. I, maybe maybe they need to be like Michigan and have a a, a, a a Michigan day, you know, where they practice only for Michigan. You know, I, I don't know what the issue is with them. They brought in Jim Knowles to coach the defense up. And- yeah, you're working you're working too hard to defend Kyle McCord. I, I'm sorry. The issue is Kyle McCord. He okay. was brought in to win this game by having an explosive offense with playmakers all around him. 
and he didn't do it. I, I, I'm sorry. Like, I'm not pushing Marvin the blame Harrison or the Jr. buck anywhere years. else. Marvin um, Harrison Jr. was your wide receiver for three years and yeah. you didn't get it done. Yeah, it, it, this year was was a sense. massive disappointment. I, I hope he <clears throat> uh, recovers and does better at Syracuse. I'm sure he's a talented kid, but he was nowhere near good enough for what should have been a national championship contending team. I don't know if they're the best team in the country with better quarterback play or not, but uh, he needed to be better. I, I, I put that on his shoulders very early in the season. Mm -hmm. I never took that off of his shoulders, uh, and he continued to let me down, unfortunately. Yeah, and I, I just know for a fact that these transfer quarterbacks are licking their chops at the potential of, of coming in and playing for a Ryan Day offense that is known for producing first-round picks at the quarterback position in particular. And there's no there's no lacking in talent. It's not You lose Marvin Harrison, but you still have first-round talent that's going to be lining the, the streets of, of Columbus, Ohio, clamoring to get in there to play on Saturdays. And they've consistently churned out talent, and they will consistently – continue to churn out talent. And I think if they can get the right guy under center in 2024, then they're going to have an opportunity to be right back here contending for a national championship game. And I think that they're, they're going to be fine. They just need to beat Michigan. They need to get the right guy under center, but let's move on to another game because, <clears throat> Oh God, this was ugly. This was one of the most embarrassing football games that I've, I have witnessed. Um, you know, because you say when life gives you oranges, you make orange aid. They didn't do that. And or one team did and the other team didn't. Florida State was they, they had the last month they spent pouting and feeling sorry for themselves. And I think it's very obvious that that's been the case. And I understand you had 24 players who opted out or at least two dozen. I mean, maybe more transfers, opt outs, injuries. Seminoles were out without players who accounted for 97% of their passing, 88% of the rushing, 84% of their receptions. Good Lord. 63 to three. And you could tell that Georgia was there to make a statement. Florida state was not. And, and, and they showed it possession by possession by possession. They failed on one fourth down conversion to start the game. And then they scored a touchdown on its next nine consecutive possessions. Like to, to quantify this beatdown is just look at the stat sheet. You have 36 first downs compared to 11. You have 673 total yards compared to 209. 372 rushing yards compared to 63. They won the turnover battle four to nothing. And you could say, well, it's just because they had their starters in the game and, and Florida State didn't. Well, Georgia brings in their backups and they're doing the same thing. They murdered them with ruthless efficiency. It's not that they were just throwing the ball down the field. They just line up and kick the crap out of their opponent. That's all they did. And, and look, this is the year after that they beat OTCU 65-7 to in the national championship game. You go back the last three years, they've outscored their opponent in the final game of the season and their bowl win, the last two being national championship games, 161-28. to it's the largest margin of victory against an AP top five opponent in the AP poll era. Going all the way back to 1936. That's all football games. Like, I understand you're, you're upset that you didn't play in the big game. You want to be in the college football playoff. But do you know how you prove that you belong in a college football playoff? Opt-outs be damned. You don't lose 63-3 in an Orange Bowl. It's disrespectful to the game. It's disrespectful to your opponent. It's disrespectful to your fans. What Florida State did on Saturday is nothing short of disgusting to the sport of football. They they gave up. They quit. And I, Mike Norville had a great season. They had a great season down there in Tallahassee. None of that's remembered. The only thing that you're going to remember from this season is that they got left out of the playoff and quit. And then you get blown out 63-3. It's embarrassing. It's completely and totally embarrassing. I blame Mike Norvell. I blame their front office. I not front office, but their boosters. I blame the administration. I blame all the players. It's embarrassing. Yeah, I, I, I mean, look, I'm not going to go in that strong and make some big, fine, <laughs> declarative statement on an Orange Bowl when we when we knew going in what Ohio Ohio State's Florida State's mindset was going to be. It was always going to be tough, right, for them to get up for this game. I, I totally understand that humanity wise. I, I, I can come to terms with that. 
it, this does fall though on Mike Norvell is uh, a complete failure to motivate. Um, they were never going to win this game. I think we understand that they're not better than Georgia with their starters. They're certainly not better than Georgia when most of the starters were out of this game. Um, but this was a situation where Georgia had nothing to play for as well. Um, their ultimate goal was win the SEC, win a national championship. They fell short of that as well. They had arguments to be in the cha- uh, into the playoffs as well. Um, but they didn't sit around and mope. Kirby Smart went to work, yeah. developed a game plan, uh, and they executed that game plan. Um, and Mike Norvell did not. They, they, they spent weeks crying and, and complaining and begging for reconsideration and morons uh, on the political spectrum are, are over here uh, filing lawsuits and asking for responses. And it, it was a grandiose three-week waste of time. And when you yeah. show up on the field with that being what led those three weeks, this is what happens. And look, it's not a, it's, this is not about the players giving up or failing to me this is a, a letdown and i don't even want to say failure like i don't i don't even blame the guys um but this is a letdown for mike norvell um and and really what it is was, was a, a a spectacular course in motivation that kirby smart <laughs> still has no I, i'm just being honest like sure. it's really sure. impressive to watch florida state flounder the way they did and watch georgia come in looking that way when they absolutely know this is a letdown of a season. There's no other way to put it based on how it finishes. And, and there was no other way it was going to finish once they uh, had gotten to that point. It, it was a letdown of a season, and they still showed up, and they still played. And, and Florida State did not. And, and it's not about the opt-outs. It's not about the guys headed to the NFL. Um, it, it, this was about pride. And, and one team cried for three weeks, and one team said, all right, well, Nothing we're going to do is make us win a national championship. So let's just go play our game. Uh, and, and that's what Georgia did. Um, it, it, look, it was a tough look for Florida State. There's no denying that. Um, you can't argue that. But I, I'm not going to make some grand statement of this is why they didn't belong or this is that. No, or, no, no. I mean, it, it, I don't, I I don't want anybody to, to, to get this confused. They did everything in their power yeah. to be included into the college football playoff, and they were robbed of that opportunity. And I do not want to let this yeah. get in the way of anything. But it's kind of hard to make that argument. No, I, 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 I get it. it. I, I just I understand it. I'm not wasting my time belittling <laughs> Florida State for the effort. It, to me, this is, no. it, this is solely uh, an impact of Georgia and the motivational aspects of Kirby Smart. It's just really impressive. You can see why when they approach this sort of game with this sort of mindset, why they can survive multiple stretches in the SEC of undefeated play, why they can threaten back-to-back-to-back national championships. It is because of Kirby Smart. He is a difference maker in that program when not a lot of head coaches are motivational difference makers. It's one of the few things that puts him on the pier that that uh, the peak that that Nick Saban is on is his motivational abilities and tactics, and this is just another display of that. It, it's a, it's a marvelous job from Kirby Smart to have his guys ready to play, um, whether as the starters or in the second half, as you mentioned. The backups and third stringers came in, and you know what they did? They executed. They, they executed at the yeah. level of top recruits and four stars and 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 who they are, and so it's just really impressive from that aspect. That that's what I took away. Uh, again, not so much from the Florida State side of things, but from Kirby Smart in Georgia, they were ready to go. And that's impressive knowing how big of a letdown it was in Atlanta for the SEC championship. Yeah, and one thing that we know for sure is that this is the worst loss in Florida State history. And you could see it from before the, the, this first snap was taken when the guys were, were jogging onto the field. And it was pretty obvious. I, I remember I was sitting there with my, my girlfriend watching the game and um, you could see the way that they walked out onto the field. And of course, I don't have, I don't have B-roll. I mean, we're not one of those high-tech <laughs> podcasts that does the B-roll necessarily. If you're listening on podcasts, you just have to imagine it. But um, look, th- th- you could tell by the way they walked out, r- ran out onto the field, and then you saw them take snaps and, and get ready to play. And it, it was, it was pretty apparent. One team knew that they had a job to do and they wanted to finish that up, finish that job. And, a lot of these players wanted to play for each other, and I understand some players didn't play. Brock Bowers, Mary Smims, who've been dearly, yeah. dealing with injuries for much of the season. But then you have a guy like Lad McConkie who comes back and plays. You have a guy like Kamari Lasseter who comes back and plays. I, I mean, 
there were a bunch of players for that Georgia team who were going to go out and be top picks. And a lot of them still played. And I'm not going to hold that against Florida State. I'm not holding against the guys like Keon Coleman or Johnny Wilson or anybody else. You make the decision that's best for you, period. End of story. And I won't, I don't want to say anything different. And I don't want to make it sound like I am. But you can tell that one team wants to be there and 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 you show why that they want that why they won two national championships in a row. Why they won 29 games in a row. And you saw that on Saturday with the way that they executed and the way that they played a quote-unquote meaningless football game. A little story time. A little story time for you about this game. So this game's kicking off pretty close to when we're about to board the plane. Yeah. um, uh, On the the flight home from LAX all the way here. My plan was, all right, you know, I'll, I'll watch what I can on my phone as we're in the boarding process, and then when we get on the plane, I'll pop the game on. I'll watch that for a couple hours and then figure out the second half of the flight. Uh, there was an NFL game that night, so I, you know, I was able to deal with that. By the time I had gotten to my seat, it was twenty-eight to three, and I'm like, oh. I don't, I don't really feel like I need to watch this game. So, you know, I took advantage of the selection of films available on that lovely. What you watch, feedback. Man? Uh, I watched, uh, so I started Blackberry on the, well, I watched a couple films on the way over, but I got okay. about 50 minutes into Blackberry on the way there. So, and I watched the second half of that. And then, uh, they had added uh, between the week that I flew out and the week I flew back, they had added dumb money, the, uh, movie with Paul Dano. Oh about the yeah. GameStop stock. So I, I checked that out and then I turned on the NFL game. So, but yeah, it was just one of those things. Where <laughs> the like, NFL game is great too. I had this whole plan to watch this game on the flight and it would entertain me. And then it was like, I don't think I want to watch this anymore. Uh, <laughs> now, there, I, I did see most of the game still because the, the, you know, it was a flight headed to Atlanta. There were a lot of Bulldogs fans on the plane. So there was, there were other TVs around me that had the game on. So yeah. I was monitoring what was going on. But it was like, all right, another one. All right, uh, we're about three more minutes in this movie. Another one. Hey, they got the, the the bonanza right before halftime. You're like, okay, another one. And you're like, all right, I, just, I, mean, I think I made the right decision to finish up BlackBerry. But um, forty two to yeah, three, forty two to three. Yeah, in the was, first half. Man. It was it was it was some. So it was about as brutal as it gets, yeah. man. Yeah, the, the the previous worst loss for Florida State was forty nine points, which has happened twice, nineteen seventy three and two thousand eighteen. This is now 60 points, 60 yeah. point loss. I, I And then they, 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 it's not even that they took their foot off the gas. It was that they stopped throwing the ball down. The, they, they didn't really throw the ball down the field after about halfway through the second quarter. You know, they kind of stopped yeah, I mean, taking shots, but oh, well, they move on. And um, maybe this kills some of the momentum from this team. Maybe it doesn't. We'll see what ends up happening with Mike Norvell's bunch over the summer. I don't, I don't really know with it, but. Brutal way to end a, a great season. But I do want to move into the Peach Bowl because speaking of somebody who had a really good end of their season, Lane Kiffin, he's had a hell of a month of December. He has dominated the transfer portal. And we talked about that a lot on College Football Game Time on Sports Radio 19 on the game in Atlanta. We've talked about it right here on this podcast, College Football Overtime. They add Juice Wells, pairs with Quinchon Jukins and Jackson Dart and Trey Harris, that incredible offense that was on full display in this one. 38 to 25 win over Penn State, but the defense is really the thing that was most impressive to me. They're adding Walter Nolan, Prince Yu, and a number of legit starters on defense. So I really think the month of December for Lane Giffen has been awesome. And it caps off with a dominating win over a, an, a, a similarly talented Penn State team. Two teams that would absolutely be playing in the college football playoff if it had happened this year. He gets a Peach Bowl win. Abe, what were your thoughts here? Yeah, well, well, look, we talked about Ohio State and their lack of interest and some opt-outs and transfers and such. Mm -hmm. We talked about Florida State and their obvious situation and Mm -hmm. opt-outs and transfers and such. Um, This was the one game that had two teams that had something to play for, uh, that that they weren't trying to avoid each other. Um, And I thought this was an outstanding performance from Ole Miss. I liked Ole Miss going into the game. Uh, I just like what they can do offensively. I, I, I know next year it'll be without Judkins, um, but but you do have Jackson Dart back, and, and you got uh, a couple. Of, is he back. is he back? Is he? Back? I always, a sophomore. He's. Just, I always think he's gone. He should be gone. He's that good. He needs to be. He's ready. that good. Um, but but uh, 
Yeah, it, it's just a situation where I really like the way that they're trending, right? Mm-hmm. You close out the season strong. You, you do stuff both on the field and off the field in that manner. Um, and, and you're kind of the talk of the town. And, and Lane mm-hmm. Kiffin, is, now now look, that talk could die down very quickly because your, your rival Alabama uh, or your soon-to-be rival Texas, one of those two, uh, could go home with a national championship. Um, so you won't necessarily no, that won't diminish. That won't diminish. No, it won't. But you're not necessarily the highest trending program in the SEC. I think Missouri sure. deserves their share mm-hmm. of discussion. Uh, I think Ole Miss does as well. Um, they, they, this is just a great cap to their season. Uh, and they have, as you mentioned, just a lot of promise heading into next year. I, I think their schedule is relatively favorable next year. And, and so – um, you know, we've been asked by by our, our Saturday co-hosts, like, what what is the ceiling for Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss? Is this it where they just fall between eight and fifteen, and and that's mm-hmm. that? And and you, I said I don't believe that we should be capping this. Um, I, I think we've seen in other situations sometimes stuff just falls together at the right mm-hmm. time with the right group of guys. I'm not saying that's going to be Ole Miss next year, but uh, I'm saying there's some real potential for for that. Uh, you bring that quarterback back. Uh, you bring a couple of weapons on the outside in the backfield uh, and then add to that defense quite a haul. So uh, I would definitely be on the lookout for Ole Miss, but it, it, it's a good little boost heading into what you would call an offseason for college football uh, to end on that high note. And, and for Penn State, nothing to be ashamed about in, in this game. Uh, you got beat by a very good team that has been tested all year long in I'll go ahead and say it as a homer the toughest conference in college football so uh you know I I think Drew Aller's got a lot to learn from uh he he probably got started out a little bit too hot a little bit too much put on his shoulders I mean I don't think he was ready no well that's what I'm saying we're four weeks into his college career he played well the team was undefeated and we're starting to hear Heisman hopes and is this the quarterback that puts them over the top? And it's like, hey, 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 let's slow down a bit here. Um, but it was mm-hmm. a good learning experience for him. It's something he can build off of uh, and hopefully improve next year. And, and I don't even want to have the James Franklin discussion here. We've had it, I feel like, three times already. Um, at some point, he's going to have to win one of those two games. And now with some yeah. of the new incoming uh, schools into the Big Ten, I guess he has a couple other chances to win some high-ranked games or, I guess, continue losing them i don't know um <laughs> we'll see but i think but, he's like two and uh, nine or something all time he gets yeah. top 25 teams not but uh, i mean look if you're penn state your, your three mm-hmm. losses are ohio state michigan and, and old miss and, and i don't yeah. think that's anything to to turn your head at uh it, it was you were bested on the field that day but uh you, you hope you can bring back some of the talent you had this year and and build off of it because like you said there are 12 teams next year, and they were 10-2 and two in the regular season. Next year, if they repeat that, they will be playing in the playoffs. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, a totally different situation for them to look forward to next time. Road gets a little harder, of course, because you add in Washington, yeah. you add in USC, you add in yeah. Oregon. Um, and then you, but you remove divisions, so they're not qu- going to be quite as stuck behind uh, the top programs, which have consistently been Ohio State and Michigan. So they've been number three. And just like Ole Miss, they they were lumped behind two better programs uh, just in their in their division. So that's not going to be the case again in 2024. But we'll see if they can actually get up over the hump. This was a really good defense this year. Number one in sacks, number two in tackles for loss, number one in overall defense. They averaged 223 yards allowed. The Rebels surpassed that in the second quarter, Abe. These guys got dominated. And I understand it wasn't quite as domination style on the scoreboard. But after a while, they really started to pull away. 20-17 to 17 at halftime. Then they pulled it away to 31-17. And then you get to the 38-25 to 25 because Penn State scores that late touchdown and hits that two-point conversion. But the rushing attack started at a high level. Catron Allen, Nicholas Singleton, they had 63 of Penn State's 65 yards on the opening drive. But then they go for 38 yards for the rest of the game. They fell apart. And at the end of the day, Drew Aller is a, he's a fine player. And I think he's talented. He has potential, but he needs to realize some of that potential and get rid of the potential and turn it into actual statistical output. And until he does that, 
I just don't think that Penn State's going to be able to unlock that next level because you lose Manny Diaz, and I don't think that Manny Diaz is absent. Maybe that maybe that was the reason. Maybe it's probably not one singular reason, but the defense wasn't there to bail you out, and then the rushing attack wasn't there after really that first drive. Uh, the first quarter they had 85 yards, and then they matched that for the the remaining uh, three quarters of the game, and. Drew Aller was statistically irrelevant, mostly. I mean, he had 295 yards, which is really good on paper, until you realize that 75 yards of that came on a tip play that went for a touchdown that should have been an interception, would have been his third turnover of the game. And the lack of explosive plays, just like they did against Ohio State, just like they did against Michigan, it killed him. And you have to be able to figure that out if you're James Franklin. I'm not going to get into the hot seat, cold seat, whatever seat, Blue seat, red seat, anything seat. I'm not going to get into that with James Franklin, but you got to start winning these football games because the going gets tougher as you add in a lot of talented teams into the Big Ten. I I think this is a potential playoff team, but they're going to be right there on that edge. Stock up if you're Ole Miss. Stock down, still stock average, I guess, if you're Penn State. I. Like, yeah, okay. I, I think that last point is kind of where I'm headed. Like as these teams exit this year and wrap up their bowl season and head into whatever next year or off season is going to be, you kind of do try and, and you don't entirely base preseason rankings off of like who carries momentum from the year before, but there is a little bit of that. And I think you're right. Uh, Penn state is, is at a flat. I won't even say they're down there at a flat. Yeah. Um, I almost said down, but, it's, but yeah. almost Ole Miss is trending upwards. There, yeah. There's no denying that. And, and, between the transfer portal wins uh, and and this bowl win, uh, and that's where the the momentum, the movement of the program is in the right direction for Ole Miss. I, I think it'd be very tough to deny that. Yeah. So interesting game. I, I think if you're Ole Miss, I, I'm I'm really excited about the future for yeah. the Rebels. Man, I, I really think that they have something special cooking in 2024. And in this day and age of college football, where you have a 12 team slate and a lot of these divisions and are are completely eliminated. You can gear up for one big year and just sort of go for it. And I think Lane Giffen's doing that coming up here this season. And I, I'm really excited to, to follow that season uh, as it progresses through 2024 and through this offseason too, because that dude likes to remind people that he's around on, on Twitter and social media. I think that's awesome. Um, but let's move into another game that's coming up on Monday. So our first game that we're actually going to talk about that hasn't happened yet, uh, the Fiesta Bowl, 1 o'clock on ESPN. Number 23, Liberty is taking on number eight, Oregon. I don't have a ton of thoughts on this game because I think it's honestly not going to be a very good game. Um, Bo Nix is playing in this game, as is Bucky Irving. Makes me think that they're not going to be disinterested. You know, they're going to come out and finish the job that they started. That pair led in offense. That's number one in efficiency, and it's doubtful that Liberty is going to be able to slow them down. This is a Liberty team that played zero power five teams. So they're going from Florida International, same Houston State, to Oregon and the defense is not going to be able to keep the, the keep them down at all. I, I, I think that this could get very ugly. I do think that the offense for Liberty is going to give Oregon a little bit of trouble at first. I, I think that's potential. There's been some potential there. This is an offense that's third in FBS and yards per game and averages North of 40, 40 points per game. Uh, their, their total output is just a hair behind what Oregon's put out this season. I don't know if they're going to be able to keep up just because the, the talent the talent gap is going to be massive, but they're going to score. And if they want to continue to run the ball, I think they can for at least for a little bit. Caden Salter, Quentin Cooley, both of these guys hit a thousand rushing yards. They combined for 28 rushing touchdowns. So they like to run the ball. So I, their recipe for success, run the ball, keep Oregon off the field. Maybe they'll have a shot and maybe keep it interesting for, a little bit as we gear up for the college football playoff later that afternoon. Yeah. I, I mean, look, I, I think we'll know within the first two or three drives uh, for each team of this game, how things are going to go. And mm -hmm. I say that based on usually, and especially with Oregon, because it's been their thing. Usually when a small team goes up against a big team, the biggest difference is going to be in the trenches. And, and, yeah. and I just feel like Oregon will protect uh, the quarterback. will will find running lanes on offense. And then on defense, uh, had the ability to shut down the Liberty rushing attack and, and to get after the quarterback, collapse the pocket. And if that's the case, if you see that in the first two or three 
um, drives. And I know sometimes things change over the course of a game and adjustments gets made, but usually it'll be apparent pretty early on if that's how the flow of things are going to go. So that's what I'm looking out for. Um, you know, if Liberty can bite off a couple of chunk plays, uh, if they can find a way to collapse Oregon's pocket somehow, uh, maybe I'll be in for a surprise, but I'm I'm kind of with you. I, I think there is a talent uh, disparity here, and if Oregon comes in motivated, and look, based on everything we've seen from Dan Lanning, I know they lost twice to Washington, um, but he's done an outstanding job of having his guys ready mm-hmm. um, m- for most of the season. Uh, he is a Kirby smart disciple, so maybe he's got some of that Kirby motivation um, to, to hand to his guys for this one. Yeah, and I think that they've got a lot to prove, uh, at least <clears throat> on paper. This should be uh, – I don't know the last time they got a New Year's Six win. I- I'm not 100% sure just, just off the top of my head. I, I can't re- I can't remember the last one it was. Maybe they won the Rolls a couple of years ago. But um, I-, I think this could be a- an interesting game, and I-, I see this as really a launch point for 2024. And-, and that's the way that some teams use this and other teams use this as kind of a celebratory mark where it's like, hey, great, ch- great job and a great season. And Oregon was undefeated against everybody not named Washington. So at the end of the day, they've had a pretty good season, and that's something to celebrate here. Uh, and I think they'll do it going out over, a, unfortunately, a much better team. Yeah. Uh, that they, the team that they are much better than. But let's move into the college football playoff, Abe, because on paper, these are this is the best college football playoffs that I think that we've ever had. On paper. Because it's a combined five-point spread. So one and a half here in the Rose Bowl that we're about to talk about right now. Michigan, one and a half point favorite over Alabama. It would only be the second, the first time, that's the first time that somebody is a favored opponent or a favored over Alabama since 2009. To somebody not named Georgia is favored <laughs> over Alabama. We know how that one went. It was the Tim Tebow game in the SEC championship game. That was uh, the end of the Florida era, I guess, if you will. Um, but this game, I don't necessarily know how this one's going to go. Maybe it's the end of an era for Jim Harbaugh because he might go off to the NFL. Maybe, maybe not. But look, Jim Harbaugh's led them to the college football playoff three years in a row, but they have yet to win a game. They're looking for the first national title since 1997 and only their second since 1948. Meanwhile, Nick Saban has been the model program of the 14 era. He's missed the playoff only twice in the last decade and has won all but one of his semifinals. And that goes back to 2014. He lost that one in 2014 against Ohio State, the eventual national champion. And Abe, I know we've called this his best coaching job of his career, but he still has 18 five-stars on this roster, which is more than the entire Big Ten Conference, which only has 17. His 2023 team, it was defined by doubt. They lost to Texas. They struggled at times. USF was dreadful. 17-3 was a win in that one. And people doubted them the entire season, myself included. And four of their nine conference wins came by six points or less. Yet here we are. The more things change, the more things stay the same. Yeah, there's an interesting run of storylines to get to in this game, and you have to break it down, I think, bit by bit. And the first one to me is the reverse trends of the two quarterbacks in this game. Uh, J.J. McCarthy started hot. He was into the Heisman discussion. And in big games, even though his team won, he did not perform well. Uh, I think he won games over the the vast stretch of the season where they threw for like 138 yards or or 151, whatever. It was not impressive. Mm -hmm. It was not enough. And it's a situation where J.J. McCarthy, in my opinion, did not make enough plays, but also did not turn the ball over. Flip side that to Jalen Milrow. We know how his season started, Um, but he's been trending the opposite where he is on the rise to the point where he got some discussion in the Heisman. They almost flipped in that regard. Finished number five, I think. Yeah, and and it's a situation where he has become a playmaker, but you do still worry about the turnovers a little bit. And and so the question for me is going to be which style can win this game. Jalen Milrow, I think, can win this game being a playmaker. Can J.J. McCarthy win this game not turning the ball over is that going to be enough are they going to have to ask for more from him I I think there's room for error for Milrow I think the Alabama offense is more explosive than Michigan's and and so if Milrow has a turnover here or there they may be able Mm -hmm. to survive that but he was outstanding down the stretch he was outstanding against Georgia don't forget this also 
because mm-hmm. we're going to focus on Blake Corum here. I'm going to let you speak on him in just a moment. But Alabama beat Georgia without Jace McClellan. Jace McClellan's an outstanding running back, and after three weeks of recovering, uh, he's going to come into this game about as healthy as he's been since the start of the season. And, and so um, I, I do think that we we need to see Michigan run the ball to win this game. Yeah. Um, I think we understand that. I, I think Alabama's going to want to do uh, something in that regard as well. Jason McClellan will be a big part of that. And then obviously Milro will be a part of that as well. And before I turn it over to you for your thoughts on this game, the other aspect of this, which is simply just undeniable. I know the quarterbacks are at the, the center of the story and they are on the field. I'm never, ever picking against Saban when he's got three weeks to prepare. It's just, it's too big of a storyline. And this has, it's not even about Harbaugh or not trusting him or calling him a bad coach. That's not the situation. But but Nick Saban is the best in the business. He's been the best in the business for a long, long time now for a reason and his record with multiple weeks to prepare is outstanding um and so when when faced with this opportunity i just do tend to favor the tree the team that that is trending upwards for me i i I really look there, there was a time i don't know if you remember garrett where i refused to call georgia the best team in the nation they had not this was before when they hadn't really shown it yet. And I said, I got, I'm looking at this Michigan team. They're dominating on both sides of the ball. I have not seen that team in quite a while. Uh, the team that I thought could beat you with defense, but also beat you with offense. This to me has felt like a team that needed to beat you with uh, ground game and controlling the clock and keeping the score low and forcing turnovers. And, and I'm just concerned that they don't do that uh, against Alabama. Uh, Alabama had a plan that worked against Georgia's front and against Georgia's secondary. I imagine Nick Saban will have a plan that works against Michigan fronts and Michigan secondary. And so the question now yeah. to me, um, the, the, the bigger question is, can J.J. McCarthy and that offense keep up? And I, I don't know. Again, I'll let you speak on Blake Corm. I think it falls on the shoulders of J.J. McCarthy. 130-something yards passing, 150-something yards passing. I don't think you're winning this game um, uh, unless it all falls apart for Milrow like it did early in the season. So it's going to fall to Corum, and I'm not necessarily personally convinced he's that type of back. I like Blake Corum. I think he's really good. I think he's going to be good on Sundays. But he's been able to carry the load for much of this season. Uh, he He didn't look the same. I will say that. Zach Zinter went down in that Ohio State game, the All-American guard, and he was very important to this rushing attack. He was the guy who generally was the pulling guard. He's the guy leading the charge into the hole. Um, and in that game, they averaged 2.0, yards per, 2.0, so two yards per carry against Iowa. 66 total yards on the ground. That's a really good rush defense for Iowa. You're about to face another equally good rush defense for Alabama. I. I understand you're just playing not to lose. It's it, Obviously, it's a different type of game plan. Game to game, transitive property doesn't exist in college football. Much football in general, but especially in college football. Um, so at the end of the day, I don't think that Blake Corm's going to be able to win this game for you. J.J. McCarthy, I agree with you. He's going to have to have a big game. If, if, if they want to beat Alabama in this football game, then J.J. McCarthy's got to do better than 60 yards like he did against Penn State. He's got to do better than 148 yards like he did against Ohio State. I understand he was efficient in those games. He was seven of eight and 16 for 20, but the the basic short to intermediate routes, that's not going to be able to get it done because in those games, you were able to run the ball effectively or yeah. you, you were able to use your home field advantage to get it done. You also just haven't had to, to keep pace with a team that scores. And that's been the trouble for, for teams opposing Alabama is you feel like anything is a win uh, outside of a <clears> touchdown. <throat> and, and if Michigan, and I'm not saying it's going to be, in the high thirties or forties. We we've seen those types of games though. I just, Michigan yeah. doesn't have that in my opinion, or at least they haven't shown that. And look, I like Blake Corum. He's one of the game's great finishers right now. That's what I, he is. You hand the That's ball to him inside the five, give him the six points. It's going to be a touch, but I don't know if he's got the big play explosive ability 
that Michigan's going to need. I, I, I just, I don't feel like you're just going to start moving Alabama around. And uh, I, I don't know, man, like they look so impressive in, in how they were able to handle the Georgia Bulldogs. And I, I just, uh, they looked like the best team in the country at that point. They yeah. now have the challenge of carrying that over after three weeks off. But uh, I think it's going to be very tough based on what we saw in the second half of the season from each of these teams for Michigan to win this game. Yeah, and Jalen Milrow, I think one thing we've seen, uh, Tommy Reese, the offensive coordinator, came down from Notre Dame at the beginning of this year, was really kind of settling in with his quarterback as the season went on. And this season, obviously, he got better and better and better, like you said. One of the big things that we saw from him specifically is the designed run. Uh, I don't remember who did this. I think it was Cole Kublik from uh, WJOX in, in Birmingham. He's also SEC Network. He does a lot of different things. Great college football mind. Um, but in the majority of the must-win football games that they played this year, so Ole Miss, LSU, and Georgia, he had six design runs in that game. He had nine design runs in that game and six against Georgia. He had 37 all season. So we're talking about the vast majority of these well over half came in just three games. They're three most important games of the season. And I fully expect that we're going to start seeing those designed runs against this Michigan front that has not seen anything like that this season. Nobody has had the athletic ability of a Jalen Milrow. And Jalen Milrow, it's not just it's not that he just needs his legs to get going. I think he plays best when he is moving and getting out of the pocket and making things happen. But it's also the fact that when he's throwing the ball down the field and he's connecting with his big play receiver, which has become Jermaine Burton, uh, who's exploded down the stretch. He's had four touchdowns in his last mm -hmm. five games. This downfield passing attack has been paramount. It's huge. And Michigan allows just 153 yards passing and 55% completion rate. Jalen Milrow is going to attack him down the field. And I think if, if Jace McClellan, you mentioned it, if Jace McClellan can get a good push and, and a, a good, a good, I don't know, a decent, chunk of yards behind a pretty good offensive line against a really good Michigan front seven, then I think that Alabama is going to hit once or twice down the field because Jalen Milrow is going to do it at least once or twice because he's shown that he's fully capable of hitting down the field. But I think you'd set that up with the designed runs, and we've started to see that over the course of the season. But the other thing, and the last thing I'll say about this before we move into the Sugar Bowl, the coaching disparity is glaring. Jim Harbaugh is a really good coach, and I'm not sitting. I'm sit, I'm not going to sit in your in my pulpit and try and cast stones. That's not what I'm trying to do. But you give the best coach to do it at the collegiate level three weeks to prepare. Mm, You'd be lucky to win that football <laughs> game. But on top of that, Jim Harbaugh is two and seven in bowl games. Abe, he hasn't won a bowl game since 2016. Well, that makes me it makes me a little nervous. It makes I, me a little nervous. I'll tell you what makes me nervous in regards to Harbaugh it is all of this off the field stuff that has also kind of flickered in to bowl prep. Um, the news that he hired an agent that may help him uh, get an NFL job. The, the idea that he's had to address certain uh, rumors or openings. It, it's just a lot of outside noise. And, they, and look, Michigan's been dealing with outside noise all season. We understand that. So mm -hmm. maybe they're ready for it. But it just seems like – and look, maybe it's just like some big distraction uh, for us, the analysts who who are being misled here. Um, it just seems like he's not ultimately as focused on this game as Nick Saban is. And, and, and I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't think it's fair to question that. Like, I, I know that's what I said, but that's not exactly what I mean. I, I don't think he's I know what you mean. not – but but there's also some unavoidable stuff that he's dealing with that Nick Saban doesn't seem to be dealing with right now. And, and you do wonder, it's just human nature, sometimes that takes its role uh, and plays its part. Yeah, and I think that that's going to be one of those things that starts to, that's going to be questioned. If, if Michigan does lose this game, which, you know, I think they will. If Michigan loses this game, that's going to be the question mark. Yeah. And that's going to be the question that every reporter is going to stand up there and ask and say, hey, did the off-field things catch up to you? Yeah. Did the cheating scandal catch up to you? Did the coaching rumors catch up to you? And that's a fair question, and that's Jim Harbaugh's fault, nobody else's. Yeah. Let's move into the Sugar Bowl, uh, our last game to discuss. Uh, in this one, like I mentioned before, tight, tight margins. And the margin here 
a meager three and a half points. It was at one point four and a half. I think it went up to five, and now it's back down to three and a half. Texas favored over the Washington Huskies. Kalen DeBoer, of course, won Coach of the Year in his second season. He's looking to beat Texas for the second year in a row. They won the Alamo Bowl last year, 27 to 20. And this year, it's been lots of clutch for Michael Penix. They haven't won a game by more than 10 points since September 23rd. It's been a long time. And I've said it on this podcast. I said it on College Football Game Time on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. A lot of people call that a weakness. They say it's a bad thing. I say it's a strength because this is a team that knows how to win. They know how to win in the clutch. And they've done it all season. And I I don't know why it would stop in a game like this. They have dominated these one-score games. And Quinn Ewers and company, they're playing some of their best football, on the other hand. Like, this is a group that Steve, Steve Sarkeesian had a masterful coaching job. He lost his starting quarterback for two and a half weeks. And then his star running back tears his ACL. Now they've scored their, in the last two games. They're outscoring their opponents a combined 106 to 28. And on top of that, you go just beyond the quarterbacks. Like we look at these guys. These are two of the best skill rooms in America. Washington, you had Dylan Johnson, Roman Dunes, uh, Jalen Polk, uh, uh, Jalen McMillan, uh, CJ Baxter, Xavier Worthy, A.D. Mitchell. You got dogs. And I think this is going to be a fun football game. I am really really excited just to watch this t- this game that just unfold because of all of that star power and i think we got two great coaches looking to prove themselves on the game's biggest stage look i may be wrong about how i feel about the rose bowl but i feel like i have a read on it at least this sure. one's really difficult to get a read on and, and that's what makes it so interesting to me i i, I think the first thing i'm looking for is is the Texas defensive line versus the Texas secondary, right? Like 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 Washington and their big playability. If they give Penix time, if Texas's D-line can't get to the quarterback, and you've been spotlighting this all season long, Texas gives up big plays. They give up explosives. What has Washington been so great at? Big plays and explosives. And, and it's just this weird concoction of they have one of the best defensive fronts one of the best pass rushes in the country but if they don't get there they're in a lot of freaking trouble and Washington is a team that can really take advantage of that they got Roma Dunze they got Jalen McMillan they got Michael Penix on the other end delivering it you mentioned Dylan Johnson out of the backfield but can they hold up under the pressure of the Texas front Mm-hmm. to give that unit time. I, I think it's the biggest difference maker in this game. I, I think we've seen Washington a, a, as much as anyone in the country be a big play offense, be an explosive offense. It's the reason Michael Penix was number two in the Heisman. And it's just one of these things like we've also heard about Texas and that front and what they can do to you. And, and so that's the biggest focus on this game. That to me is where this game is won and lost, but that's not the only thing because as you mentioned, recently Texas has hit in their fair share of big plays as well. Mm-hmm. We've seen Washington specifically against Oregon give up their play uh, a fair share of big plays. And so I think it could go back and forth. Uh, I, I, I look, I do say this. If Washington's offensive line can't hold up under the pressure of the Texas front, I think they're in real trouble. Um, but if they can, I think we're in for an absolute shootout. I, I really like Quinn Ewers, and I really like what they've been able to do in recent weeks. And I think there's been this big key that you mentioned. Jonathan Brooks goes down towards the end of the season, and you start to question, what's the run game like? It's actually been okay. Yeah, it, It's actually sustained. I think it's going to need to be in that realm again this the, the, uh, uh to win this game. I, I don't think Texas wants Quinn Ewers dropping back 40 times here. Uh, Cause Washington can get after the passer a little bit as well. Uh, and Quinn Ewers is not, uh, you know, one of the keys for Oregon keeping pace and being competitive with Washington uh, was the fact that Bo Nix uses his legs. Quinn Ewers can run a little bit, but I wouldn't say he's as dynamic a runner as Bo Nix is. And so he's going to try and beat you with his arm a little bit more necessarily than Bo Nix has, and also deeper than Bo Nix. A lot of those intermediate short passes in space, that's not what Texas does. They get behind you. 
And uh, we've seen some play from Washington on the back end uh, that has been stellar. And, mm-hmm. and so that that's another thing. I don't know who has a coaching uh, advantage. Um, you Give mentioned Michael Penix. I, I don't know who has a quarterback advantage a in push. this game. Um, it, it, there's so many question marks that I have. Um, but it all goes back to my original point. And that is, is Washington, are they folding under the pressure? Is Penix getting hit? Or is he standing back there and delivering? Because if they can protect him, I just think they're going to score a lot. I I think Texas's back end is so damaged um, and has been all season long that if Washington holds up along the front, I I don't know how they don't score 40 in this game. And And it would be a very tall task, in my opinion, for Texas to keep up. But... If it's the other way, if they can hit panics, if they can maybe force a fumble or a, a bad, inter- if they can make some game-changing plays with that rush, mm-hmm. uh, it might swing back in Texas's favor. That, that's why this one is so difficult for me to really break down. I, I think that's what I've settled on as like the key or the focus, but I, I don't know who has the advantage. I don't know which way it's actually going to go when these teams step on the field. And that's why I'm so darn excited. I love it. it I love, I'm so excited. And, and you mentioned it earlier, like this is the best field of four team playoffs that we've had. The difference being any of these four teams could win it. We have not mm-hmm. had a, a four teams where any of these four teams could win it. Texas could absolutely go in and win this game. They've already beaten Alabama once this season. Who knows what would happen if there were a rematch or if, um, it would be against Michigan. Same thing for Washington. Uh, I mean, look, uh, there are a lot of people who thought Oregon was the best team in the country, even despite that loss, right? Uh, they were playing that well. And what did Washington do? Just go beat them again. And, and so uh, they're playing well. They've got the zero next to their name uh, in, in regards to the loss column. Obviously, it's a yeah. two next to their name in terms of the rankings. But um, yeah, it, it's a wild matchup that could go any which way. I'm super excited for it. I wish it were a little bit earlier because I'm getting old and I get tired, but uh, this game's got me so amped up, man. It ain't going to be a problem staying up for that one. I promise you that. Yeah, I, I just know it's what Phoenix energy is going to be on the field. <laughs> Over his first six games in 2023, the dude, and that culminated with the, the 36-33 win against Oregon. He was one of the best quarterbacks in the country. He was the best quarterback in the country, I will say. He was basically producing Joe Burrow numbers. And from there, it just was all regression. He went from 10.3 yards per drop back to uh, 7.3 over his next seven games. And his completion rate fell from 72% to 61%. His interception rate went up. His sack rate went up. Now, of course, Jalen McMillan's back. I think he's going to make a big impact in this game. And I think you nailed it. I think that's a big deal. I mean, if he can come out and be the Michael Penix of the first six games, then I think that we, we're going to have a shootout, man. Uh, this is going to be a, a, a brilliant and, football and, game. And let me step in real quick because I, I know we've kind of loosely talked about this. I, yeah. I, I, I think Michael Penix had been hurt. And I think, I think he was banged up. And I think he's going to have some time to get healthy. And I, I exactly, nobody I think needed it more than Michael yeah, Exactly. I think these three weeks did, did a very good – uh, came out at the right time, I guess, for, for Penix. I, I do expect him yep. to look a little bit fresher than he had. And I do think some of those limitations that you just ran down statistically may have been because physically he just – he either had to get rid of the ball quicker, he couldn't take a hit, mm-hmm. or couldn't quite move out the pocket. The same, whatever it was, uh, I, I think it, he's probably as healthy as he's been since, as you mentioned, that Oregon game. And, and I think that could play its role as well. Yeah, and I think they were able to lean on the rushing attack. Dylan Johnson's been – Fantastic on the ground, 1,300 yards this year, or 1,200 yards about, give or take, uh, and 14 touchdowns. He logged at least 16 carries in each of Washington's last six games, which kind of lends itself to what you're saying. Maybe Michael Penix was a bit banged up. He had 28 carries for 152 yards, two touchdowns in that Pac-12 championship game. And one of the most interesting matchups there, like you talked about, is that front seven for Texas. They have all Americans on that defensive line. Uh, Devondre Sweat, Byron Murphy, those are beasts on that defensive line. They allow 80 yards per game, two and a half yards per carry. They're top five in the country in those marks. And I think if Washington really wants to take some pressure off, you do that by running the ball effectively. Dylan Johnson is a major key in this football game. But then I'm going to give you one guy, a major key on the Texas side as well. It's A.D. Mitchell, baby. Big game Mitchell. 
this is a guy who who had let's see he had a, a he won two national championships at georgia uh and that's huge experience for a, a program that's never played in a college football playoff. He had four touchdowns as a freshman. All four of them came in the college football playoff in 2021. He had two in the college football. Like, like the dude is a beast in these sorts and these sorts of games. And then you add in the fact that Xavier Worthy got a little banged up in the Big 12 title game. It makes AD Mitchell his presence on this football field is going to be paramount. And then the last thing I'm going to say about Texas, you talked about the big mismatch that Washington could potentially have. And, and if Washington can hit them deep, then that's a big deal. One thing I'm going to say as well, can Texas finish drives in the red zone? They are elite 20 to 20, the 20 between the twenties are really good. And they score a lot of points too. They score them on explosive plays down the field to AD Mitchell and Xavier Worthy and CJ Baxter in the backfield. They could do all that. But when they get into the red zone, they're 100th, 120th in FBS. They score touchdowns on only 49% of their red zone drives. That is not going to get it done when you're going up against an offense that features Dylan Johnson, Roma Dunze, uh, Jalen Polk, and Jalen McMillan, and Michael Penix. You're not going to get that done. You need to finish drives. Points are going to be paramount. You've got to be able to score, and you've got to get seven. You're not going to have to settle for three if you want to win this football game. Just something else to note, and I think it's worth bringing up. If something were to happen to Quinn Ewers, Malik Murphy is not available in this game. Yes, good point. Uh, that would be Arch Manning. Um, now, on the flip side, uh, we you know we we just talked about that Texas front. If they're able to get to Michael Penix, you're you're looking at Dylan Morris, who threw 14 passes all season long. So um, for for either team, they they need to keep those guys upright. I, I think. Uh, yeah. it, you know, they're so pass oriented. They're so big play oriented out, out of the quarterback position. Um, they, they've got to protect those guys. Those guys have got to stay in the game. Uh, and let's continue on that AD Mitchell comment that you had, uh, in some of the biggest games for Texas this year, he, he's been outstanding. He went for 141 in a win, uh, blowout win over a ranked Kansas team. He went for 149 in that overtime win over that Kansas state team. Uh, yep. where the ball is tipped. And then obviously in the Big 12 title game, he went for 109 uh, as well. So he has big game Mitchell, baby. showed up in big games. Exactly right. That's what it does, man. I, and I'm excited to see this game. This is this is one of the most fascinating games. The three and a half line over Texas, over Washington is, I think, a little large. Uh, but I, at the same time, I think this makes for, this is a really fascinating college football playoff. It is the culminating 14 playoff field. And I think this is the exact type of game that fans deserved. And I, I think one, one more, one I, more thought you, on this is, is, and I just, you kind of try and gauge whatever you want, but this mm -hmm. game is the sugar bowl. It is in new Orleans. And so I am interested to see the Washington contingent versus the Texas contingent. Uh, anytime you're talking about a fan base that can drive, Versus a fan base that has to fly. Um, and look, we'll these, these sorts of games normally aren't overly one-sided, but I am interested just to see if you get a feel one way or the other um, from the crowd. I was actually met a Washington fan on the cruise, and she, she came up to me the last day of the cruise and told me she had just booked a flight to New Orleans for the Sugar Bowl. All right. She was going to pick up a ticket. Well, because she heard me talking. I, I said a lot of the same stuff I told you. I was like, there's a lot of reasons Washington to win this game, and it, it, here's the reason why. If they protect the quarterback, blah, 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 Texas, they give up big plays, blah, blah, The same stuff I just told you. And I think I got her excited. Now I think I talked her into going. So It's going to be an awesome uh, football game, man. I, I, yeah, man. It's, it's good. It's, I think you it, picked this Washington is, to win this game, right? I think you so. you picked Texas? I don't know. I'm going to pick point Texas. Is, go so my way. point is, you could pick Michigan. You could pick Alabama. You could pick Texas. You could pick Washington. I, you could pick anybody you want to pick. I think that no matter who you pick, it's a good pick. Because any of these four teams can win a national championship. I did any pick one of these four teams, Any one of these four teams can win this, this game and then go play in the national championship game. Any combination is an interesting one. And I think no matter who plays, no matter what happens, there are going to be some interesting storylines. I'm really excited for it. Abe, what a day. Uh, New Year's Day is my favorite day of the calendar years because I can sit my pretty butt down and I can turn on the television and I can watch college football. And it is 
truthfully, the culminating day after a, a wonderful college football season, and it's the game that everybody deserves. It's the Sugar Bowl. It's the Rose Bowl. There are tons of other great football games that are going to be ha- happening that day. Uh, I know Iowa is playing Tennessee in the Citrus Bowl. You've got uh, a Fiesta Bowl that's happening at 1 o'clock. For all you Oregon and, and Liberty fans out there, we got a lot of great college football that's going to be taking place on Monday, and we're going to break it down right here on the College Football Overtime Podcast. I'm really excited. We're going to have a lot of fun. I hope you guys all have a lot of fun, but make sure you're right back here because we're going to break it all down right here on the College Football Overtime Podcast. Abe Gordon, thank you so much for a wonderful evening. Happy New Year to you, my friend. Happy football to all of you. Happy New Year. Thank you for joining us. We are College Football Overtime. For Abe Gordon, my name is Garrett Chapman. Thank you so much for joining us. Make sure to like and subscribe. Join us again on Thursdays. We do it all again right here on the College Football Overtime Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.